series is seven prayers, seven simple prayers that can change your life. And we're in part two tonight. And we begin in the same place that we began last week, and that is with the words of, of the disciples to Jesus. Luke 11 and 1, it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. 2,000 years ago, Jesus' disciples come to him with this important request. And the request is, not teach us how to pray. They're not looking for a method. Teach us to pray. They're looking for a motivation. They've watched Jesus pray. They just kind of lurked around watching him pray. And when he ceased, that's when they asked him the question. They wanted his passion, not just a prayer plan. And so that's what brings us to their request and what brings us to this series. Prayer, brothers and sisters, is in its simplest form, a conversation with God. And I said last week, and it's worth repeating, you know and I know that the most meaningful conversations with the most meaningful people in our lives, they are informal and candid, they are effortless, and they are endless. They go on from one day to the next. And sometimes, in times of great crisis or sorrow, those conversations are even voiceless with the people that are most meaningful to us. It is the very same with our Heavenly Father. Prayer is not performance. It is not posturing yourself with God. Prayer is simply having a conversation with God. And so Jesus teaches us, and the Bible affirms, that prayer should be to us, the children of God, prayer should be as natural as breathing, as easy as talking, as wonderful as friendship, and as powerful as love. That's prayer. And sometimes, just like in your other relationships, prayer will be as emotional as an argument or as insistent as a debate, as joyful as shared laughter, and as comforting as a hug. That's prayer. Prayer is amazing because our God is amazing. Jesus taught us that prayer should be something that we enjoy, not something we endure. Now this series, it follows the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Matthew, and it follows the seven I Am statements of Jesus in John. And I've never seen anything else that kind of put them together, but this, this is something that I, I really think is, is there in the Scripture. So we're boiling these statements, the, the statements from the Lord's Prayer and the, and the I Am statements of Jesus. We're boiling them down to seven simple prayers, seven one-word prayers that can change your life. And now last week we looked at the first uh, couple of things. We looked at the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, Our Father which art in heaven. And we looked at this I am statement of Jesus where he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Does anybody remember the very first simple prayer that we studied last week? Help. Very good. This is a smart crowd. That's why I love teaching you. The very first prayer we encounter is the heartfelt cry of a child to their father. 
help. Prayer begins by knowing who to turn to. You can't get to the Father unless you know Jesus because he said, I and the Father are one. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's who he is. He is our good Father. Help is simply a one-word prayer that is a confession of need. And of course, when we get in circumstances, it gets to be much more than one word, doesn't it? But help is a confession of need. It is expressed to a God who can meet that need. God is your Father. So if it matters to you, it matters to Him. He's ready to help you whenever you call on Him. So why in the world would we wait until we get in some overwhelming crisis when God wants to help us right now? He doesn't want you to wait until the bottom falls out. He wants to talk to you every day, and he wants to help you with the little things. So by the time you get to a big thing, you've built a relationship that is rock solid, and you know just exactly how to walk into his presence and ask him for help. The psalmist said, help me, O Lord, my God. O save me according to thy mercy. Somebody say help. So that's last week. Now, we are Canadians, and as Canadians, we have a queen. She doesn't live in Canada. She lives in the United Kingdom, but she's our queen. And uh, when you approach the queen, when you have an audience with Queen Elizabeth, uh, there are some protocols. And among others, the BBC, the British Broadcasting Corporation, they have often mentioned the protocols for an audience with Queen Elizabeth. Here are some of the do's. You should do these things. Number one, you should curtsy or bow. The ladies generally curtsy and the men generally bow. But in this generation, we're still trying to figure that out, apparently. Sorry, a little rant from Sunday night. (laughs) Number two, you should address her as your majesty on the first greeting. And afterwards, you should address her as ma'am, rhyming with jam. Number three. You should dress properly for an audience with a sovereign. Number four, you should always allow the queen to lead in walking, in talking, in sitting, standing, eating. You don't keep eating after the queen puts her fork down. You you, you don't linger when the queen starts to get up to leave. In fact, I, I found this out while studying when Queen Elizabeth, and I can't remember which one, but when she changes her purse from her left arm to her right arm, your audience is over. They come from everywhere because they're getting her out of there. All she has to do is change her purse. I'm watching for that from here on out. Those are some of the do's when you meet with Queen Elizabeth. Here are some of the don'ts. Don't touch her unless she offers her hand. Number two, don't ever keep the queen waiting. Number three, leave before the queen leaves. Um, Don't leave before the queen leaves. And number four, don't ever turn your back on the queen. Now, those are protocols for a wonderful lady. She's been a wonderful sovereign. Uh, I'm very impressed with Queen Elizabeth. Uh, it's kind of like my family. I'm very impressed with my family, and the impression gets a little dimmer way out in the branches. Same with Queen Elizabeth. I'm very impressed with her, and out in the branches, not as much. 
there is also a proper way to approach the king of kings when you enter his presence. But it's not about royal rituals or precise protocols or rigid rules or dignified decorum. It's not about elegant customs or solemn ceremonies. That's not how you approach the king of kings. It's actually almost the reverse. It's about something heartfelt, something personal, and yes, even something simple. And we go again to Matthew 6 and verse 9. The second phrase in that verse says, Hallowed be thy name. And I want to twin that for tonight's lesson with this I am statement of Jesus. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Hallowed be thy name. And Jesus said, I am the door. To hallow something means to consecrate it to sanctify it, to treat it as holy, to revere it, to be in awe, or to set it apart in how we treat it and how we talk about it. That's hallowing something. When we hallow God's name, when we hallow the name of Jesus, we do it by offering worship. Because worship, hallowing the name of God, is the door into God's presence. Every single time, that's what we feel here tonight. Worship is the door by which we enter God's presence. Worship allows you to enter his throne room. Worship brings God's presence and his power close. Worship opens the door to deliverance, salvation, healing, signs, wonders, and miracles. It all begins with worship. And the easiest form of worship, the most instinctive and natural kind of worship in any human heart is one word, and that is thanks. Anybody feel like saying thanks to Jesus tonight? Think of one thing he's done. Out of the million things he's done for you, that is the easiest, most natural, most instinctive kind of worship. Thank you, Jesus. It changes the atmosphere when you just lift up your head and say, thank you. Psalm 100 verse 4, you know this one. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Saying thanks is the key to the door. Saying thanks is the latch to the gate. Saying thanks is the invitation to his courts and the password to his presence. That's how you get in, saying thanks. First Chronicles 16 verse 8, it says, Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. And in the Old Testament, see, that's the secret right there in Psalm 100, verse 4. There's your key. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. But if you look back into the Old Testament, nothing marked God's presence like the Ark of the Covenant. 
And these are the verses right here. 1 Chronicles 16 and 8 and 1 Chronicles 16 and 34. These are verses from the song King David sang on the day when after all of those years that it had been captive, they finally got to bring the ark back to the city of Jerusalem. And on the day that they brought the ark back, David wrote a song and they sang the song. He said, give thanks. Somebody say thanks. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. In other words, talk about what God's done and thank him for it. Remember what God did for you and thank him for it. If you hear somebody's testimony, thank him for it. If pastor gives a praise report, Board, thank him for it. If a missionary happens by and says we're having a revival, thank him for it. Whatever you got in your life, that's what you do. You make known his deeds among the people. And another verse in that song says, oh, give thanks. Somebody say thanks. Give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. When you think about what the Lord has saved you from, when the, you think about how the Lord brought you out so he could bring you in to his church, when you thank him for his mercy, that's worship. That's the key to the door of his presence. That is the latch to the gate of the supernatural. It's your password. Somebody say thanks. That's your password into the presence of God. It's about the first thing you should do anytime you talk to your Lord, your Father, your Master, your Savior. You just start with thank you. Hallowed be your name. There's nobody that's done for me what you've done for me. That is your door into his presence. So, in the Old Testament, right there, that song that David wrote on that day, God's presence brought thanksgiving as the ark came in. The tangible symbol of God's presence in the Old Testament, as the ark came into the city, God's presence brought thanksgiving. But I want you to flip it around because the Bible says everywhere that thanksgiving brings God's presence. See, God honored David not just because he brought a box from uh, God's uh, tabernacle back to Jerusalem. That was wonderful, and I know God honored David for that. But God honored David much more because David was always writing songs and praying prayers and giving thanks to God. So God's presence, the ark, it brought about thanksgiving in the hearts of the people. But the thanksgiving of King David and the thanksgiving of Israel, that brought about God's presence. It works both ways. And it still works that way today. Saying thanks to God, it isn't a list to recite. You don't have to get worried that God will get upset if you forget one of the 20 things that he did for you and you forgot to mention it. It's not a list to recite. It's not an obligation to fulfill. Saying thanks is an attitude of your heart. It is heard in your words. It is seen in your expressions. I love our worship teams and our musicians. Beverly and I comment once in a while because we love them and, and because we've been part of that. Sometimes Pentecostal people get so intense about what they're doing, they look so stressed. You know what? There's something about enjoying the people of uh, the 
presence of God and the people of God and the singing and the preach. That you, you don't have to look like you're having a coronary event all the time when you're worshiping the Lord. Sometimes you can just enjoy yourself. And I know sometimes you feel like that, but you don't have to feel like that every time. Sometimes we cry and sometimes we intercede. But do you know what? A lot of the times we can just lean back and enjoy the presence of God and say thanks. I know I can't see him tonight, but I'd like to think that everybody in this room is worshiping with a smile on your face under that mask. I'd like to think that everybody came here to enjoy the presence of God. I wish you'd lift up your hands. I can't see your face, but God can. He's got x-ray vision. I wish you'd smile up at him and say, thank you, Jesus, for everything you've done for me. Thank you, Jesus, for everything you mean to me. I worship you, God. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. (laughs) Saying thanks is an attitude of your heart. And if you've really got a thankful attitude, we will hear it in how you talk. We will see it in your expression, and it will be demonstrated in your actions. Because being thankful is a lifestyle. And that lifestyle of thanks occurs everywhere in the Scripture. And so I have a question for you tonight. It's a pretty simple question, but maybe a searching question. How about you? In your life, and I'm not just talking about church services, how often in your life do you say thanks? Because we live in an unthankful world. It's easy to let all the stresses and the tensions that are going on out there, it's easy to let them infiltrate our hearts and our attitudes and our minds. So I have a question for you. You live with people. You're around people at work. You go to school with people. You come to church with people. How often do you say thanks? And even more importantly, how often are you thankful? How often do you just back up and feel thankful? I don't know if you've ever thought about the blessings that you have in your life. We all too often. It's amazing. We go from hello to our problems. How are you doing? That is the most dangerous question in Canada. How are you doing? My goodness, you can be there an hour. You can be dragged into the depths and the dregs of despair just by saying to somebody, you're just totally innocent. How are you doing? It's just unreal. They can blow you down with all the bad reports. It's unreal. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you're pretty blessed when you live in Canada. You're pretty blessed. Do you have an education? I'm not talking about seven degrees in a university. Do you just have a basic education? Because one billion people in our world don't. They can't read. They can't sign their name. They can't read a Bible. 75 million kids don't even get to attend school in our world in any given year. If you've got the most basic education, you are abundantly blessed. That's a great reason to be thankful to God that you can read words on a screen or you can open the Bible and understand a little bit of what you're reading. Do you have a place to live? 
maybe a house, maybe an apartment. One billion people in our world have nowhere to live. They eke out an existence in slums, in boxes made out of cardboard, in little shacks made out of tin or mud huts, and many of those are children. Do you have enough food to eat? Isn't it amazing that in Canada, for some of us, our greatest concern is dieting. And around the world, I can assure you that their greatest concern is not dieting, it's surviving. A billion people don't have enough food in our world. One-third of kids in developing countries are starving. And 22,000 children die every day from starvation, even in 2021. We've got a lot to be thankful for tonight. Do you have clean water at your house? One billion people don't. Millions of people around the world spend most of their day trying to collect just enough water and food to survive. It takes hours out of every day. We just turn on the tap or pull a bottle out of the fridge and uncap it. Do you have electricity at your place? Isn't it a blessing, electricity? It's amazing when you think, for those of us that have been around for a while, when you think about church in the olden days, actually, if you wanted to, to look at a scripture, you had to actually bring a Bible. Now we, they just put it on the screen. We just read it. It's amazing. The technology, we can actually broadcast a service to people at home. What an amazing, amazing technology. We have electricity. 1.6 billion people don't. And it's even worse than that because of in unreliable infrastructure. There's over 2 billion people that have no light at night because they just shut it off. Here's an unusual question. Do you have a stove at your house? Because 2.5 billion people in this world don't. Half of Africa, half of India, and half of China cook over fires. And because so many of those fires are indoors, over cow dung or over wood that's gathered up, because so many of them are indoors, 1.5 million people die of indoor smoke and pollution every year. We just go home and turn on the stove or the microwave. Here's an awkward question. Do you have a toilet at your house? Because if you do, 2.6 billion people don't. Lack of proper sanitation spreads disease enough to kill 2 million people every year. We don't have to worry. We are so blessed. I hope you're thankful. Do you have enough income to get by? Did you have enough income to put gas in your vehicle to get here tonight? 6.5 billion people don't. Most of the people in our world live on less than $10 a day. I don't think there's anybody in our church that lives on less than $10 a day. So every once in a while... I think thankfulness should just about overwhelm us that we are so blessed and so privileged. Here's a question. Do you have freedom to worship? You know, one of the things that made Sunday night's message a little intense is because we see some freedoms evaporating. Do you know what that means? That means we still have them today. 
I'm so grateful that we have the freedoms that we do have, and we need to guard the freedoms that we do have. But if you've got freedom to worship right now, which you do or you couldn't be here, five billion people in our world don't. They live under Islam. They live under communism. And 400 Christians died today for their faith around the world. But here and we get to worship Jesus through, and the freedom of our, our conscience. Isn't it wonderful? I think thankfulness should just catch up with us and surround us and overwhelm us every once in a while. I think the first word on your lips to Jesus when you get up every morning and you realize, hey, I'm alive and I'm relatively healthy. I can actually get myself out of my own bed today. I think one of the first words, it's simple, but it's beautiful. Thanks, Jesus. Thank you, God, for your blessings on my life. I got a question for you. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Because five billion people don't. Uh, because Sorry, 7.2 billion people don't. Only 600 million people in our world. Now, that's a big number to us in Canada. But in the world population of 7.8 billion, only 600 million people have the Holy Ghost, but you're of the 600 million. 7.2 billion do not have the Holy Ghost. If you're filled with the power of Jesus and you've been given that beautiful gift of speaking in another tongue, you are among the elite in this world. You are among the privileged in this world. Most of the world hasn't received it. Much of the world doesn't know about it, but here we are. We can lift up our hands, and the Holy Ghost gets moving among us. We are truly blessed. It's amazing. Apostolic believers, brothers and sisters, we have a lot to thank God for. 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote it this way, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Only three times in the Bible is that word used. Only three times in the New Testament do the apostles use the word unspeakable. It means unutterable, untellable, unimaginable, unbelievable, indescribable, inexpressible, indefinable, inconceivable, incredible. It's just one of those things. You just can't tell it. You just can't put it into words. Only three times does the New Testament use that word. Paul uses it when he had a vision of heaven and he came back and he said, I saw unspeakable things. I, I saw them. I can't even tell you about them. I can't describe them. Words fail me. Peter used that word when he was anticipating the return of Jesus and the church he was writing to, those people were in trials. But when he thought about the return of Jesus, he said it's going to be unspeakable when Jesus comes back. It's going to be unimaginable when Jesus comes back. He's going to right every wrong. And then the third time is right here. Paul said, when he's describing God's great gift of salvation, thanks be to God for his unspeakable gift. You see, when you pray a prayer of thanks, you don't have to do it in some formal way. 
You don't have to be careful in how you choose your words. It doesn't need to sound like something you'd hear in Buckingham Palace. It doesn't need to sound like the King James Version. It doesn't need to sound all cultured and classy. It's just from the heart. And when you say thanks to God, what you're trying to do is simply put into words what is actually beyond words. How do you thank God for saving you from a devil's hell and he's going to take you to the new Jerusalem? How would you ever put that in words? How do you thank God for delivering you from crushing, crippling addictions and letting you be free to worship him and serve him? How do you put that into words? Well, you can't. So saying thanks is not even so much about what you say. It's about how you feel. When you pray, I am not saying for one split second that prayer is all about feeling. Because if you've served God for more than three and a half minutes, you know that feelings come and go, right? Uh, now, maybe there's somebody here that you floated in here tonight and you, you've been marching around the walls of Jericho all morning and you've been in the lion's den at noon and then you were caught up to the third heaven uh, at two o'clock and then, then you know, you, you've been in intercessory prayer since then and, and, and the Holy Ghost translated you from your house and right into the, the back row in the church. <laughs> sorry, back row people, I'm sorry. Eric's back there, there's good people back there. Not saying anything about you in that. Maybe you always feel like you're on the top of the mountain. I'm not saying prayer is all about your feelings, but I'm just saying that you can have a feeling in your heart. It may not be some big feeling that, you know, just so excites you and so moves you. But is there gratitude in your heart? Is there thanks in your heart? Is there joy down there somewhere in the midst of walking through this life? Colossians says this, whatever you do in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Somebody say thanks to God and the Father by him. So whatever you're doing, folks, if you're working on your old car, if you're picking up your groceries, if you're washing your dishes at the kitchen sink, give thanks to God. Whatever you're feeling, if you're up, if you're down, if you're joyous, if you're happy, if you're giddy, if you're tearful, if you're sad, if you're crushed, whatever you're feeling and whatever you're going through, the Bible says whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And by the way, while you're doing it, give him thanks. If there's any place you should be able to give God thanks, it sure should be church. If there's any place that you should be among a group of people that when somebody gives you permission, like the pastor says, let's lift our hands. If there's any place in the world where there should be just this Niagara Falls of thanksgiving every time we get a chance, it sure should be church. God has been so good to us. Paul says in Thessalonians, um, how many you want to know the will of God for your life? Would you sincerely raise your hand? You want to know the will of God for your life? Well, here it is. I'm glad to tell you because I got it right here. 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 18. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So no matter what time frame you're in, no matter what situation you've encountered, in everything, give thanks. That's the will of God for you. In everything, give thanks. 
Let's take a pause. Let's lift up our hands. Let's smile toward the Lord. And let's give Him thanks because here's what I know. There's not one person in here that you're not blessed. There's not one person in here that doesn't have more privileges than most of the people on our planet. There's not one person in here that has a hard luck story to tell when it comes to what Jesus has done for you. So He's always worthy of our thanks. And when you give him thanks, I don't know if you notice, but every time you give him thanks, that is the key to the gate. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. That's the key that unlocks his presence. That's the key that draws him close is just when you give him thanks. What do I say? I don't care as long as you got an attitude of, of thanksgiving, as long as you got thanks in your heart, as long as you got thanks. It doesn't really matter what comes out here. We've made prayer so complicated that we got to say it exactly right. And we got to say almost like these little incantations. That's so far from the truth. Prayer is simply talking to God. And the first thing a little mortal like you or me should say to an eternal God who's so great and so merciful, the first thing should be, thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> When you read that verse, in everything give thanks, for this is the will. Everybody say will. It's the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That is from a Greek word, everything in the New Testament, pretty much from a Greek word, uh, thelema. And, and the word will there means God's offer of his will. God's offer of the best way for you to live. That's what his will is. His will is the best for you. His will is the best way for you to live. But that will can be accepted or it can be rejected. So it's not just God offering you his will. Now your will comes into place. You have to either choose to obey his will, choose to walk in his will, or you can choose to reject it. But never make a mistake. His will is always the best way. It is thelema in the Greek language. It is the best for you. It is the best option for you. It is the best future for you. It is the best eternity for you. But you've got a choice to make with your will. And your choice is simply this. There's the way of gratitude that says, well, thank you, God, for making these commandments that protect me. Thank you for giving me this word that shows me the plan of salvation. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to have my sins forgiven. Your will, your response to God's best is either gratitude, you thank him and you accept it and you obey it, or your way, your will is ingratitude, which says, I don't believe that, I don't have to do that, and you walk away, it leads you away. Your own decision, your will can lead you away from God's will. And Paul writes that to the Thessalonians. You remember them. We did a series on that. His final words to that young, struggling church in this letter, they couldn't be more applicable for us today. And essentially what Paul just said is, every day of your life, when you look at the will of God and the plans God has for you and what God wants to do, every day, say thanks to God. In everything, give thanks. When pastor preaches a sermon and it nails your feet to the floor and your back to the wall and you think he's mad, no, just give God thanks. When, when, when your spouse is having a bad day and you're thinking, never mind, you just say, thank you, God. 
when, when you're struggling in some area of life, in everything, give thanks. Because giving thanks is the will of God for you. That you live a life of thankfulness. Now, you think I'm just talking about church and religion and prayer. I'm not. I'm talking about your life. There are people that live a life of ingratitude. Nothing's ever good enough for them. Nothing's ever fun for them. Nothing's ever nice enough for them. And, and they've always got a complaint. They've always got a grudge. They've always got something. You know, it's like the old couple I read about years ago. They went to a, a pastor for counseling. And, and, and he said uh, to, to the old man, because he looked like he was the ugliest, he said, do you have a grudge? He said, no, we park outside. <laughs> Only a New Brunswicker would get that joke. <laughs> there are some, Brother Phillips just got it. <laughs> you know what? There are some people that you meet them, you can feel the negativity just kind of wafting off them. Just, whew. You said amen because you know some. Don't point at them. But there are other people, they can be going through the worst horrific things in life. And you walk into their house where they're confined, or you walk into their hospital room where they're laying in a bed, or you, you, you talk to them on the phone and they're facing some terrible uh, trauma or treatment or surgery or, or letdown or, or something that's gone awry in their life. And, and you get off the phone or you walk out of their presence and you think, man, I feel good. Have you ever said this? They're the one that's sick, but they, they ministered to me. I was trying to minister to them. They're the one that's walking through a trial. I talked to them on the phone. I feel like I've been lifted up and encouraged. That's because you've just been talking to somebody who lives a life saying thanks. It doesn't matter what life or the devil throws at them. They're just thankful. Paul is telling us in everything, be thankful to God. Learn to say thanks every day. Learn to say thanks constantly and consistently. Live a thankful life because that is the will of God for you. That is the best way to live, being thankful. And if you just said in your mind, well, I don't have much to be thankful about, you're missing the point. You need to rewind the tape. If you're watching online, you need to go back and watch that last section again because here's the thing. If you said, I don't have anything to really be thankful about, you're missing the point. You live in a beautiful, free country. You have a wonderful church family. You have enough to eat and you have enough to get your little self around and do what you want. You have a blessed life. And Paul said, thankfulness is the will of God for you, for your life. Almost anybody... Even a grouch can work up enough emotion to say thanks when they experience good fortune or when they experience wonderful circumstances. Anybody can work up enough emotion to say thanks in a situation like that. But when we look at the life of Jesus, he doesn't just say thanks when things are going good. He says thanks when things are not going good. Oh yeah, there are times when Jesus is working a miracle. It's amazing. Like the feeding of the multitude with, with five loaves and two fishes. That's an amazing day. Jesus lifts up that little boy's lunch and he gives thanks first and then he multiplies it. Well, anybody could give thanks on a day like that. 
Some of you ladies, if you could lift up two fish and five loaves of bread and make a meal, you'd be giving thanks right now. You'd be dancing in the spirit all across the altar because you worked hard at dinner. Nobody even noticed. That's a good day. But Jesus didn't only say thanks on the good days. When his forerunner, John the Baptist, was put in prison and the crowds were criticizing and rejecting him, Jesus said thanks in his prayer. When he stood weeping outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus and he was misunderstood by Mary and Martha, both of them said, Jesus, if you'd have got here sooner, he wouldn't have died. And when Jesus was weeping, he still said thanks. The opening words of his prayer in front of the tomb of his friends were, I thank you, God, that you hear me. I thank you, Father, that you hear me. The night before his crucifixion, just before his arrest, knowing that he's going to have to endure the agony of the cross and a brutal death within just a few hours, that night, Jesus, sitting with his disciples, he gave them bread and he gave them wine and he gave thanks, knowing what was ahead. In everything, give thanks. That's exactly Paul's point. See, when you, let me, let me back that up. In everything, someone say, in everything. Yeah. Notice what that didn't say. For everything, give thanks. There are some things that are just a disaster. You don't, it doesn't say for everything give thanks. It says in everything, in the middle of everything. When things are going wrong and things are hard and things are sad, you can't give God thanks for everything. Nobody's going to thank God for a cancer diagnosis. But that's not what Paul said. He said in everything, give thanks. When the doctor's call brings bad news, give God thanks. When your kids are struggling and you've been interceding and no answer has come yet, still give God thanks. When your body is sick, when your mind is confused and you don't know which way to turn, your key into the presence of God hasn't changed. You don't have to change the password into the presence of God. It's still, thank you, Jesus, for what I do understand. Thank you, Jesus, for what I do have. Thank you, Jesus, for the blessings I do recognize. Thanks. Sometimes thanks feels like a celebration. Sometimes thanks feels like a sacrifice. But the Bible tells us to give thanks. It is the easiest, most instinctive kind of worship. And it's just one word. Thanks. Last scripture. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God. How often? Continually. Don't ever stop. And what is the sacrifice of praise? It is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. That's the sacrifice of praise. When you thank God when your mind and the devil and the world, your old flesh would tell you, you don't have much to be thankful for, you offer the sacrifice of praise. Giving thanks is either going to feel like a celebration, you're thanking God and you know what you're thanking him for. If somebody passes you $10,000 tonight, you can thank God and you're going to smile big. But if you lose $10,000 tonight, 
First of all, you should have tithed on that. I'm teasing. If you lose $10,000 tonight and you say thanks to God for this day, that's a sacrifice of praise because you didn't have something to celebrate. You had a loss. You had something to mourn over. You had a setback. But that's the sacrifice of praise. What is it? It is the fruit of our lips. In other words, you say thanks with your mouth and with your words until your feelings, your emotions, and your heart catch up with it. That's what you do. That's the sacrifice of praise. Now, a lot of people will have you believe that if the word today is authentic. I just want to be authentic. What they mean is I'm negative and I want you to know about it. Can I just tell you, I don't want to be authentic. I want to be obedient to the word of God. And so you're not going to know when I have uh, arthritis pain in my arm and I'm trying to preach and I can hardly hold the microphone. I'm not telling you. I'm going to get up here and say, thank you, Jesus. Ouch, that hurt. Thank you, Jesus. Because while I want Jesus to know everything that's going on in my life, good and bad and ugly, you're just going to hear about the good. Because I'm going to give him thanks in the middle of the congregation of the people of God. Now, I'm not saying don't tell us when you're sick. My goodness, wake up. Common sense here. We want to pray for you when you're sick. We, we want to pray for you when you've got a situation. What I'm saying is what are you focused on? What's your, what's your first? See, thanks is the password in. Thanks is the key to the gate. Thanks is the latch to get into his presence. You can tell him about, you know the Lord's Prayer. You can tell him about everything you're facing, temptations and needs and, and, and wherever somebody's offended you and hurt you and you need to forgive them. You tell him all about that a little later, but your first heart response, it needs to be one of thanks. Our Father, which art in heaven, you're my Father, I need your help. Hallowed be your name. You're so awesome and I'm so little. You're so great and you've done so much for me. Thank you. It's the door into his presence. It's the door. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. And the sacrifice of praise is being thankful when your flesh will tell you, you don't have much to be thankful for. You say, that's psychology. No, that's the word of God. It's not the power of positive thinking. It's not some sleight of hand or some trick with your mental attitude. It is a lifestyle. I am so thankful for what Jesus did for me. I am so thankful for who Jesus is to me. And I am tickled pink that I get to be in his presence. What a privilege that is. If you let it, it happened right over there. If you let it, Thanksgiving just starts to bubble up. Sometimes you pray, sometimes you speak in tongues, sometimes you lift your hands, sometimes the tears flow. If you let it, Thanksgiving will bubble up. These, I know they're simple. But they're simple prayers that can change your life. The difference between thankfulness and ingratitude will change the trajectory of every day of your life.
I know people struggle. I know people have problems. But if there's a thankful heart buried under the rubble of your situation, here's what I know. Though he tries me and though he may slay me, I'm going to come forth as gold. Hmm. Kathy, come on back. Would you lift up your hands one more time? And and here's what I want you to do. I just want you to let that word thanks bubble out. We we talked about help last week. God help me. Well, he will. But but here's the secret to just walking in to the anointing and the free flow of his presence. The first thought on your mind, the first attitude of your heart, it should be thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You may be one of those people that tonight You need to offer the sacrifice of praise because you've got sadness and you've got sorrow and you've got sickness. I encourage you to do what the writer of Hebrews said. Offer the sacrifice of praise. It's the fruit of your lips giving thanks to his name. Your heart hasn't caught up yet. Your emotions haven't caught up yet. They're still depressed. Your feelings haven't caught up yet. They're still down. But your mouth, see, you've got something in here called the will. Your mouth can choose to give thanks to God and let your feelings catch up later. (laughs) Yes, yes. Oh, thanks. Thanks.